Well, I have always had this fascination with the ocean. Does anyone else share this with me? This just fascination with the ocean. Uh, I love to look at it just for hours. I love to be around it. I love to feel the, the waves, you know, when you're standing on the shore, just kind of thumping through your whole body. I also like to be in the ocean. Uh, I, I like to swim in the ocean, not really here so much, <laughs> uh, but in other places, if I have the opportunity where it's a little bit warmer and not as um, dangerous. Uh, I spent several years surfing uh, up here. I've done some kayaking in the ocean. I also love to read books about the ocean and particularly about like sailing and sea voyages and things like this, exploration. And, and for some reason, this, this idea of sailing in the ocean, it feels like the most romantic, adventurous, exciting thing that, that I could think of. It's just something throughout my life that I've really been drawn to. And in my head, there's this idea of freedom and excitement and anticipation. In his book, Caught by the Sea, Gary Paulson, I think he perfectly captures the way that I think about sailing. This beginning motion, this first time when a sail truly filled and the boat took life and knifed across the water under perfect control. This was so beautiful, it stopped my breath. This, this is what I feel like when I, when I think about sailing or imagine myself going out into the ocean on a boat, a little tiny boat on this great expanse of the ocean. But, but the truth is there's... There's something much different about reading a book about sailing or watching Master and Commander again. I love that movie, right? Uh, and, and so there's a difference between reading something or watching something and actually pulling away from the dock and, and setting sail. If you're, if you're someone like me who can tend to worry about all the things that could go wrong, sailing, like lots of other adventurous activities, it becomes something that sounds nice in theory, but it might be too risky in reality, especially as you get maybe a little bit older and you have more children and you have more responsibilities. We could say the same thing about climbing a mountain, uh, learning a new skill, building a new habit, asking someone out, uh, making a career change. We might yearn for, for what's out there or what might be out there, but taking the risk sometimes just feels too big. Now, why do we feel that? Why do we feel like the risk might be too big? I think it's because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the outcome. We don't know the future. We can't predict what, what, how things will turn out. And as much as we'd like to, we cannot control what will happen next. As Annie Dillard says, anything can happen and anything does. <laughs> I love that. Anything can happen and anything does. So once we pull away from the dock, anything can happen and anything does. So for the past couple of months, we have been walking through a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, a prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. And I've been trying to recap the prayer as we've walked through it each week. 
So by way of recap, I'm just going to read something that Eugene Peterson wrote to summarize what we've seen so far in the Lord's Prayer. In his book called Tell It Slant, he says, we now know what we've seen so far in the Lord's Prayer. We now know that we are deeply engaged in all that God is and does. The holy, the kingdom, and the will. We now know that our hands are open to receive the gifts of creation, are ready to eat from the table where we have been invited. Come and eat. We now know that with our heads bowed and our hearts open, we are absolved of sin and are ready to pass the forgiveness on to everyone we meet. So what's left? The fact is that we don't know what's left. There is more. The end of the prayer that Jesus teaches us is showing us about how to pray, not just for our present, but also for our future, preparing us for what we do not yet know. We we all know that we will face difficulties, trials, temptations, evil, resistance, uh, especially as we, as we follow Jesus. Jesus prepared us for this. These are the kinds of things that will happen to you as you follow me. The, the, the problem is we just don't know when or what those things are going to be. And we would love to have a warning. We'd love to have uh, 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 some, some kind of script that we could use to prepare for these things. But what we do have is Jesus teaching us how to pray for what is next, for what we don't know, uh, but what will come. So he says, he's teaching us how to pray, lead us not into temptation. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 6. We'll read verses 9 through 13 and see how Jesus teaches us to pray for what is next, for what will come. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. Let's pray once more. Father, we do ask now that you would prepare our hearts for what is next in these next <laughs> few, few moments that we have in your word uh, that you would do the work in our hearts and our minds that we cannot do uh, ourselves. That, Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes. They would show us the way to trust in you, Jesus. And you would teach us how to pray, how to walk with you, Jesus. How to talk with you, how to, to, to be in communion with you. And I pray that, uh, that you would be gracious enough to show us the ways in our lives where we have been out of sync with the way that you're showing us how to live, Jesus, and that in your grace you draw us into fellowship uh, and faith in you always. We ask it in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. So keeping with the sailing theme, uh, I'm going I'm to try to break this passage up into four parts. The fog, the stars, the wheel, and the sail. So first, the fog. We're familiar with fog here, right, in Humboldt County? Seems, seems like it's something, it's around a lot. Uh, and, and what does fog do, besides making your hair frizzy? Uh, it, it limits your visibility. It limits 
your visibility. You can't see very far in either dire- in any direction, especially when it's really thick, right? It's just, it's all right there. It's like this blanket. And so if you're trying to navigate a path, if you're, if you're trying to get somewhere, fog can become very disorienting, very confusing. So as we learn how to pray as Jesus taught, lead us not into temptation. There's a potential for us to be confused about what it is that Jesus is trying to show us. And I think the confusion comes from this. If I'm asking God to not lead me into temptation, does that mean that sometimes he does lead me into temptation? Is that, is that what Jesus is saying? So the early church leader, James, he addressed this potential confusion in his letter. He wrote in James 1, verse 13, let no one... That includes you. Let no one say, when he or she is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. All right, so uh, don't you love when the Bible is just super clear? This is so refreshing here, this clarity to help us understand. It's not God who is tempting us to sin. For, for all the things that we don't know and that there may be some different interpretations on, we can know with certainty it is not God who is tempting us to sin. Our Father never desires for us, his children, to sin. So this means that when we sin, not if we sin, but when we sin, there's no room or, or margin for us to blame God or to point our finger at God. So God does not lead you into temptation. So James continues by showing us where where then is this temptation coming from? Each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by their own desire. So we need to be really clear on this point. Let's not get lost in the fog. Jesus doesn't lead us into sin. Jesus doesn't tempt us to sin. What we know about Jesus is that Jesus rescues us from sin. Jesus saves us from our sin. He delivers us from our bondage to sin so that we're not enslaved to sin, that we can actually resist and flee and fight against temptation. So I think it will be helpful for us then to see what does Jesus mean? What is he trying to tell us when he's talking about temptation? Lead us not into temptation. And a lot of times we have this cartoon idea of temptation, right? It's this little devil on our shoulder who's telling us to, you know, do something bad. Um, and, and as we'll see when we talk about the wheel, uh, temptation, the, we can be tempted by uh, the evil one, Uh, Satan, the devil, but in this instance, the word temptation could be better translated as trial or testing. So think, think of the word temptation as trial or testing. Some churches and traditions translate this part of the Lord's Prayer as saying, save us from the time of trial. Save us from the time of trial. Another translation is, allow us to be spared from difficult circumstances that would tempt us to sin. Even if we believe that God doesn't tempt us to sin, Jesus is teaching us trials, difficult circumstances, testing, adversity, hardships. These things can tempt us to sin, or they can be avenues 
into temptation. Anyone who has experienced difficulty can tell you it can be very disorienting, right? These things come into our lives that we were not expecting, we didn't anticipate them, and we're just left with our heads spinning. I, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. And so we're left with a lot of questions that can feel to us like a fog, that we're disoriented and confused. So what do we do with these trials, with these difficulties, with these questions that we have? We look to the stars. Now, I'm just using this as like a metaphor. I'm not actually saying that we should look to the stars for advice. We follow Jesus. We don't follow like astrological signs or something. But like, like sailors, we, we can look to the stars to help us navigate, to find our way. And, and this is funny because we now have GPS devices. We have, uh, we have stuff on our cars and on our phones that, that basically have turned us into hopeless and helpless people when it comes to directions and navigation like we use Google Maps to get around our own town. Like, we live here. And some of us have lived here like our entire lives, and you're like, I'm not going to just try to remember where that place is. I'm just going to look it up, and then I'll know exactly how to get there, even though it ends up taking me you know, on the worst way to get there. So we, our brains, okay, this is just a little sidebar. Our brains are just turning into mush, okay? Just, just, just know that. Be aware of that. Uh, but if you wanted to fight against this, uh, if you applied yourself, you could learn how to orient yourself and navigate with, in, a, in a pretty good way with the stars. You could, if, you, if you learn how to do this, you could find your way using the stars. So as followers of Jesus, we have been given an incredible gift to help us find our bearings when we are disoriented, when we are confused, when we have questions, something that are even better than the stars. And that gift that we have is God's revelation to us of his word, the scriptures. We've already seen uh, from, we, we got this clarity, right, from James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It's not God who tempts us or leads us into sin. He rescues us from sin. So then what does God's word, the Bible, tell us about trials, about hardships, about difficulties? And in several places we're shown that God does indeed test us, that he applies pressure to us. And the pressure of these trials is actually beneficial to us. In the same passage in James chapter 1, earlier in that chapter, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers and my sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So there's clear direction here. Something that we can look to that the testing, the trial of our faith works something good and beneficial in us. Wesley Hill says, God, like a metalsmith, applies pressure on his people 
to refine their faith and obedience to make it stronger and more durable. And he points to this example in Genesis chapter 22 that many of you are familiar with. This is God testing Abraham. Right? He tests Abraham. He says, you are to go and to sacrifice your son Isaac, the son that I promised you, the son that I gave you. This is a testing. This is a trial. Isaac is spared the knife we know later in the story, but, but Abraham's faith, his trust, his belief in God is tested and tried. His heart is put through the furnace of trial and difficulty, and he comes out at the end having passed the test, right? He's, this pressure is applied to him, and it's actually beneficial to him. Now, it's the same furnace that the Apostle Peter talks about in his letter to people who are experiencing great difficulty, great suffering, and pain as they follow Jesus. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, in this, speaking of the hope of their salvation, you rejoice. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We will experience difficulty and trials. We are not exempt from pain as disciples of Jesus. And this pain, it's okay to to acknowledge. It can be really disorienting. It can be really confusing. And it can cause us to question God's goodness, his intention, his purpose for us, his love and his care for us. But this is the advantage that we have. We can look up and we can be guided by God's word. We can navigate through our trials, through our difficulty, trusting God is doing something in you, God's doing something in me that would would really never happen in any other way. And in that, we have this promise. We are being shaped. You are being formed through these trials. Your faith is becoming stronger, more durable, more complete and pure. And the end result of these trials, which Peter says these are temporary for a little while, the end result is praise, glory to God, that his name becomes more hallowed, his kingdom comes, his will is accomplished as we remain faithful to him through our trials. So in this prayer, Jesus recognizes our trials, our temptations can lead us to become disoriented. And the Bible as a whole shows us that these trials are ultimately for our good and for God's glory. But what does that, what does that mean for us to pray then, as Jesus is teaching us here? To ask God to lead us away from these trials, to spare us from difficulty. If they're beneficial to us, if they make our faith Stronger than why do we need to pray? Lead us not into temptation, into trial. So staying with the nautical theme, uh, I think we can think of prayer 
This prayer that Jesus is teaching us as the wheel that, that directs the rudder of our ship. I'm really going deep here without having a lot of experiential knowledge, but I'm doing my best. So when Jesus teaches us to pray this way, we can confidently do as Jesus instructs us to do. We can trust that the direction that Jesus has for us is good, and so we turn the wheel to follow in the way of Jesus, praying, lead us not into temptation. Now, some of you know the author J.I. Packer. He wrote a book on the Lord's Prayer, and he says that there are three reasons why we should, be pray, why we should pray to be spared from trials and temptation. The first reason that we should pray to be spared from trial is that when we are in the midst of trial, when we're walking through difficulty, we are vulnerable to enemy attack. Satan, the evil one who is sometimes called the tempter, he will work to exploit our difficulty and to crash us into the rocks, to to make shipwreck of our faith. And again, Peter's letter to suffering people gives us a warning about this in in 1 Peter 5. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we know Satan, our enemy, he has no authority over us. He doesn't get to dictate what's going to happen in our lives, his His schemes, his strategy is to manipulate our suffering, to try to twist our understanding of God's purposes for us. And his hope is that that we'll give in to fear, that we'll give in to the lie that God does not want good for us, that he does not love us, that he's not ultimately going to care for us. And in that, we can be deceived and we can fall into sin. And so Jesus is teaching us to pray to be led away from this kind of temptation. Another reason that we should pray to be spared from difficulty and trial is that these things can produce overwhelming pressure. There are things that are too much for us. There are things that we cannot handle. When we ask Jesus to keep us from experiencing trial, we're actually following his Example in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus prayed the night before his crucifixion, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Right? Jesus is recognizing the overwhelming pressure that he's experiencing in this moment. And he recognizes that there's a temptation to sin. It is okay. It is good for you to ask God to keep you from experiencing things that you feel will be too overwhelming. When we pray like this, we are praying in a way that Jesus taught us. We have direction and we can turn the wheel of our life to pray in that way. And as he prayed in the garden, we can pray with trust. We can pray with surrender. Nevertheless, Not as I will, but as you will. The third reason that we should pray to be spared from the temptation of trial and hardship is our weakness. As the songwriter Rich Mullen, Rich Mullen, sorry, as he once sang, we are not as strong 
as we think we are. Because this is true, we have a tendency to turn our trials into sin. This can happen to us. So when we pray, uh, Lord, (laughs) lead me out of temptation, we're saying, just please keep me from even the opportunity to dishonor you. I don't want to, to go against you. I don't want to fall into sin. So just just remove the opportunity from me because I'm weak. I know the tendencies that I have. I know the things that I can do. The Apostle Paul teaches us this principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, that he's strong, take heed lest he fall, right? Because we are weak. He continues, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So when we pray to be spared from testing and from trials, we're praying Lord, just give me a way of escape. If I can't handle this, and you know better than me, Lord, then give me a way out. Lead me away from these things. God knows that we are weak. He knows that we're vulnerable to temptation. We have this uh, beautiful Christmas carol, O Holy Night. We'll get to sing it, hopefully at some point uh, this Christmas. Greg, you want to throw this on the list? (laughs) O Holy Night. In all our trials, born to be our friend. He knows our need to our weakness, no stranger. Jesus is near to us in the midst of our trials. He knows our need. He knows our weakness. And as he taught us, we can ask to be spared from trials that would overwhelm us. So we have to recognize our vulnerability to sin in temptation. And we can say, I want to turn the wheel of my life to pray in the way that Jesus taught. Lead us not into temptation. Finally, what does it look like for us to live this out day to day? How do we, how do we pray like this? What does it look like in our daily practice? So last sailing metaphor, we hoist up the sail as we continually look to Jesus in prayer. So in my limited understanding uh, of sailing, there is a constant need to gauge between this relationship between the wind and the sail. You can't just uh, throw the sail up and then just forget about it. Like, okay, there's no cruise control when you're sailing with the actual sails. Micah, am am I here? Okay. Uh, affirmative from Micah. So glad. I should have hired him as a consultant for this sermon. It probably would have been beneficial to everyone. So, so in, in the way that Jesus is teaching us to approach our temptation to sin, he's saying you have to have this watchfulness. You have to be vigilant. You can't just set your life in a direction and then just cruise. Right? You have to be watchful. Later in in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus is praying, he's, he's asked his disciples to pray with him, and he goes to them, and he finds them asleep, and he, and he tells them, watch and pray, that you may not enter into temptation. 
The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think what Jesus is doing here is giving us, here's two ways that we can fight against temptation, that we can fight against sin. He says, watch and pray. First, watch. So, so think about someone like a soldier. You've been given the, the night watch. You're, you're to guard over everyone else while they're sleeping. If you have the watch, you have to be alert. You can't just be sitting there looking at your phone or dozing off. You have to pay attention. You have to be on guard for any sign, any hint of enemy attack. So we can anticipate temptation by thinking. I mean, we, we're not as dumb as we think we are sometimes. We might not be as strong as we think we are, but we, we're not as dumb as we think we are sometimes. You can look at your life. You can reflect on your life and think of the kinds of situations and people and circumstances that are going to expose you to sin, to temptation. And, and it's wise for us to just say, I'm going to avoid those things. As much as I can, I'm going to avoid the people and the places and the circumstances that will lead me into sin, into temptation. I'm going to watch against those things. J.R. Packer, again, he says, find out what for you is fire and don't play with it. I mean, what a wise thing to say. Find out what for you in your life is fire and as much as is in your power, don't Play with it. We should not entertain scenarios where we will likely end up falling into familiar patterns of sin. We can't protect ourselves from every temptation. That's impossible. But we would be wise to avoid the people, places, and situations that habitually lead us into sin. So first, we watch. Second, we pray. Jesus is again, he's just pointing to this prayer that we've, we've been looking at, we've been taught constantly, daily, regularly, consistently, ask for reprieve and rescue from temptation and sin. None of us have arrived at the point in our lives where Jesus, uh, as we're following him, that we can stop asking for his help. There's never going to be a point at which you don't need Jesus' help in temptation, in sin, in trials. We are dependent on him. And so we should pray to be led away from sin, away from temptation, away from trial, into righteousness, into places of protection where we are kept from sin. We can pray, as as we've learned in Psalm 23, lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. So watch yourself. Be vigilant. There's no coasting in our life of following Jesus. Our enemy walks around like a roaring lion looking for opportunities to devour you, to deceive you, to twist God's good intentions for you. So watch and pray. Daily ask for God's help as you seek to walk with Jesus in righteousness and grace through your trials, through your temptations. And know this. Know that in Jesus, God has already answered this prayer for us. 
Now, we don't know what trials and difficulties and temptations that we're going to face today, tomorrow, and beyond. But we do know, we do know this, that we will be saved from the time of ultimate trial. We will be spared from from having to carry the full weight of our sin. And we know this because Jesus has already done this for us. He's already carried this burden for us. The, The good news of the gospel for us as we follow Jesus, as we face trials, as we face Uh, temptation as we fall into sin, right? The good news for us in all of that is that we can be saved from our temptations, from our trials, from our sin, because Jesus was not delivered from his trial. He was not delivered from the weight. He did what we could not do. He bore the full weight of your sin and my sin on the cross, So when you pray, lead us not into temptation. You can pray, I can pray with confidence, trust in the one that we're praying to. Because Jesus has gone before us. Jesus has carried the weight of your sin. Jesus has rescued you from your sin, from trial, from temptation. So hide yourself in Jesus, through every trial, through every temptation, because Jesus will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He will not fail us. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge our fear about what is to come. As much as you have promised us that you will meet every need that we have, and that you'll protect us, that you'll provide for us, and that you will lead us. We still are weak and we're afraid, and we confess that before you. And we thank you for your direction, Jesus, that we can pray to be, to be kept from trials, kept from temptation. And I pray that you would help each one of us to be watchful, of our own lives and that we would pray as you've instructed us, Jesus. And that we would just have a posture of dependency, that we really need you, that we cannot do this on our own. And Jesus, we thank you that because we could not save ourselves, because we could not keep ourselves from sin, you came for us. You came into the world as a baby. You grew into a man and you willingly, gladly laid down your life for us so that we could be saved, so that we could be rescued from our sin. Thank you for taking on the weight of our sin so that we could be free from that burden. And help us, we ask, that you would help us to walk in righteousness, to walk in obedience. And that as we experience trials, as we are tempted that, that, that our faith would be found steadfast in you as you keep us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.